You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Michael, how are you? I am fine, Andre. How are you? I'm also fine. Um, it's sunny here. I can't believe it. There's actually sun and heat. Well, if there's both a, things are out. And if there's a testament to how busy we are, it is currently Tuesday, the day the podcast is released. I can't remember the last time we flew by the seat of our pants quite this uh, closely. And uh, I had a I had a really probably ill advised pant comment that I think I will continue to uh, advise myself not to say. Probably for the better. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, sometimes when we kind of get to the the wire like this, you and I we sit and we we just try to figure out what it is to talk about. And um, you and I had a really interesting conversation yesterday. And let and let me set this up, Michael, just so it's a little bit less self serving. Because oh, sure. um, this is the time of year that uh, Michael does his rosé report. And um, it's a lot of work. Uh, yep. A lot of people who listen to this podcast have been good enough to send bottles in the past and hopefully going forward. Um, but you and I you and I have had some conversations just based on some like feedback that you got. I know I gave you feedback about your rosé report last year and like indirectly through some other wineries and, and agents that submitted stuff. I think you got some other feedback and it, it kind of got things going. And I'm going to let you talk about what's different in a second, but you asked me a very good question where you thought I was being a smart ass in my response to you, but I wasn't. And what was that question, Michael? It was, how do you, uh, geez, if I had my phone with me, uh, it was, how do you, uh, rate a, a good rosé? I think the, the exact wording was, what do you what do you look for in a good rosé? Yeah, something to that nature. Hold on, I was just grabbing grab my, my phone. I was going to grab my my phone. That's how we, you know, we communicate via the, the old uh, texting machine. And uh, yeah, so I asked you yesterday, and then we finally got on the phone. Um, give, give me your criteria for good rosé when you get a moment. And my response yes. to you was, it would be the same as any good wine. Balanced and tasty, to which you responded with, "You're not really helping me here." And it's just like I, yep. I, I completely understood like where you were, where you were coming from, and also why my answer would have come off the way it did. Because I see when you're tasting so many rosés, you can't just go by that anymore. I, you ha you have to, you know, when you're tasting, let's say I don't know how many you taste uh, that you actually you know do anything with, Andre. Um, but when you're tasting, you know, 10 or, or 15, it's easy to do it that way. When you're tasting over 100, it's hard to just use that criteria anymore. Well, I even go back to, I, I found my notes from the very first time I went to I4C. And um, I must have been about three or four years into, um, in, into my career writing. And I, I was not prepared to handle the media room. There were like 60 open bottles of Chardonnay and you can even pinpoint the moment that my mouth got tired. Like I have really good detailed notes about the first 10. And that was, I mean, with I, I going back to that stage of my career, I, like I still try to, with all the writing I do, be very consumer oriented as opposed to industry oriented and in how I write a tasting note. Um, but I mean, I had probably 10 really good notes, 20 so-so notes. And by the time I got to like wine 31, it was just like, this tastes like Chardonnay this yeah. tastes like Chardonnay and it's just like 
when you're doing a tasting like that where everything and, and I've talked about and you and I have both talked about being um, judges on, on wine competitions um, I, I think at the Ontario Wine Awards in particular the sparkling wine category is the most difficult to judge because the quality of sparkling wine across the board in the province is so high and tasting that many wines especially with that much acidity your mouth just gets really tired really quick so does Riesling. I've done Riesling articles in the past where I've had 80 Rieslings I had to try. And, and, and you know, the, the thing that I finally got around to figuring out was that everything uh, can't be tried in one day. Uh, so when you're doing 80 Rieslings, spread them out. You know, when you're doing and, and a, a wine competition, it's, it's not that easy anymore. But what I end up doing for the Rosé Report is uh, I probably taste 100, 150, sometimes I think the, the largest was almost 200 uh, rosés. And I started doing it daily, three or four each day for two months. How do, and how did you find that worked out for you? Like, what's it like to taste it, through all those? It, well, it's, it's, it's good. It's got its good points and it's got its bad points. It all depends on the four, because when I pull them out, uh, it's a it's a blind pull, right? I'm not trying to look for the ones that I think are going to be good or the ones I think are going to be okay. I'm looking for uh, just four in, in random. So basically, it's an eye close and a pull. They come out on the floor. I put them in the fridge. Then I bring them out. It's not blind. I, I know who you know who they are when I'm tasting them, obviously. But um, and, and, it, and it all depends on on that day. Sometimes you end up pulling four great rosés. And sometimes you pull, you know, three subpar rosés. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, not every wine is going to be super duper, super duper great. And uh, rosé still a bit of a, a bit of a minefield. I mean, that was another part of our conversation yesterday because my um, my quip to you was that you know rosé on the market right now is essentially like pizza. Like even when it's bad it's still pretty okay like but i think i think that's the that's the thing that i i think is very important to understand here and it's why i've i've, I've kind of gone to a point where i'm, I'm going to change the scoring this year but I, I think the problem is that people are so used to seeing really high scores on wines that when you say rosé is is a one a minefield and two is okay you know, eighty a good score to me, a good score for a rose would be 87, 88, 89. That's where I think rose sits. If I see this year another 96 on a rose, I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm like, you're crazy if you think any rose or more than let's say half a dozen roses in this world are worth a ninety-six. Well, I mean, what if there is? There aren't. There aren't. There are not that many rosés worth a 96. You know, a really good rosé is going to hit like 191, 92 points. Uh, I mean, you're going you're going in there with kind of a, okay, you set the expectation for yourself. But I mean, let's be real. If there was that earth shattering rosé, it would, it would get the score. I mean, it's. It would get it. But I, what I'm, what I'm saying is I'm seeing more and more rosés getting those scores and, and they're, and, and they're just not there. They're just not there. And, and until we, as a society, realize that there are a lot of people out there who are starting scoring at 90, that's why you're getting 96, 94, 
92 yeah. for rosés and other wines, not just rosé, until we realize that they are doing a, a 10-point scale starting at 90, then, and I wish people would just admit to it. Don't tell me you're a hundred point scale. Tell me you're a ten point scale scout at nine. Okay, okay, I we're getting okay, okay. We are getting off on a on a rant about scoring, and we've done that many, many times, and and nothing has changed, and it is definitely a problem. And I mean, it's more and more when you talk to people about how tenders work at the LCBO. I mean, the LCBO is certainly not doing any any favors to journalists to help uh, protect integrity in writing by demanding that for a wine to be listed or even considered for submission, it needs to have a ninety point score to go with it without any regard of who's who's scoring it that's the last i'm going to say about that but i mean let's talk about what happened last year with your rosé report where i just need to highlight down again that you work really hard on it like you work really hard to make sure that when consumers read your guides they are being guided to the best products especially for people who know and love your palate like we want to make sure that the expectation is set you're not you're not juicing your scores to get any recognition but no. i mean last year given the challenge that was 2020 um it was hard to hold acid in your in your wines and that was definitely reflected in the quality of rosé in the market but your guide was essentially a book full of three and a half star scores correct and and i and i fully i fully recognized that there was a lot of the same scoring um and i i'll, I'll also tell you there was a lot of the same rosé uh, I think that what 2021 in Ontario is going to give us is rosés made from grapes that probably we don't see in rosé very often, which will hopefully make for a very interesting uh, bunch of tastings. Uh, but this year, I've decided to get away from the the star system for the rosé report and go more towards what we were looking at when we started doing the thumbs up, thumbs down, yeah. although I don't want to do a thumbs down uh, here. Uh, but what I think I'm going to go with is a good, better, best uh, kind of uh, system um, where everything in the in the report will, you know, everything that goes into the report is good, first of all. Let's start there. But I think going with a more, you know, this is a good rosé. This is a better rosé. This is this was the best rosé. And it, it could be a number of them in the best category. Um, but it's going to be based also on and and and. When I finally get all the criteria down, which is why I was asking you for it, which uh, was yours, um, like I'm going to take price into consideration this time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take buyability. You know, basically, if you did like it, how many would you buy? And then the other one is, would you actually get your ass off the couch and go buy it? Or is it one of those wines that, you know, we've all been to somebody's house where they pour you a wine and they go, it's good, isn't it? And you go, yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah. Uh, I may I may buy a bottle, and you say that to yourself, and then you never buy it. You just never you never make the effort. You never think about it again. You liked the wine, but you didn't go buy it. the The question you really have to ask yourself is: Would I get my rear end off the couch, go down to the computer, pick up my phone, do something to actually buy that wine? Uh, and I think that becomes a, a, a criteria in itself. Completely, completely fair criteria, and I think that it's great to put that out there, like right, right front and center. Because I know it's one thing we've talked about in our previous scoring is I do factor in factor in price to value, but it's also it, it's just one of those things where I think the, the the worst feeling I have is never opening a corked bottle. It's when I open a bottle and feel ripped off, you know, like when I open up, and and 
it's one of the things too where you know we're fortunate enough to get wine samples and to have an opportunity to taste a lot of wines that are worth 50 60 70 dollars sometimes more than that um i can count on one hand the one the ones that i rushed out and buy and here we are into april so far there's only one wine i've tasted this year where i rushed out and bought it because i felt it vastly over delivered on price and that was the versetto versato Reserva, the the sixty dollar one that was um, that was made and sold out very quickly, deservedly so. But like, it's it's an anomaly to get a sixty dollar bottle of wine that is just like, oh my god, I must have this right away. It's I think it's also an anomaly to get a bottle of wine that you want to rush out right away to get. Oh, totally. Um, like I, I I've tasted many things and I go all right and I put it on a list and I'm like, well, oh, next time I'm in the LCBO, I'll pick it up if right? I see it. If I see it. If I see it, if I remember it, if I if I take the list, that kind of thing, um, you know. Obviously, through the report, you know, balance is going to come in uh, as a thing. You know, fruit to acid, the sweetness ratio. Is this what the winemaker meant? You know, that kind of thing is also going to come in. But I, I have to take the other things into consideration this year uh, to to create um, a report that is going to give me a, a more uh, hopefully different scores because. Uh, of of where I'm 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 trying to bring take the rosé report to. Well, there you go. Yeah. So that's that's. Well, I'm hoping to. Uh, you know, I, I don't have to taste as many this year. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a good report. It usually is. Comes out first week in July, uh, because that is really prime rosé season as we get really hot in Ontario. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I know that, uh, it's probably, uh, one of my most successful things that I put out every year, the, the amount of hits on it, uh, is astronomical. I haven't, uh, I haven't looked at the final tallies of the 2021 yet. Uh, but, uh, but they were, uh, it was pretty big. Well, okay. So the thing on, uh, on our side then is, is let's talk about, uh, now that you've tooted your horn, let's talk a little bit about ADX and what's going on with uh with rosé this year and you know i know you and i we talked to a bunch of people during harvest and i i think it was kind of a a joke but not a joke with a lot of people that there's going to be a lot of good rosé this year yeah and i tra i tasted yours actually you had um you you have some sample bottles you did a uh what you call it? primeur i think yeah we did non-primeur is is what you did and it sounds better, uh, it sounds better with, with the accent uh, with your rosé this year oh i appreciate uh, that I thought it was it was good. I can't wait to see the the finished product because there was uh, things you know obviously when you pull stuff out and you unfilter it, there were floaties uh, kicking around in that rosé, uh, which will not be there when the finished bottle comes out. But it was a, it was a tasty rosé, and um, you know, and I think you also broke my heart a little bit, but uh, fully understood why prices have to go up. And and as somebody who is producing wine, maybe you can explain to people why. Things are probably going to cost a little bit more this year. Well, they 100% have to. Um, the the biggest the biggest line item in our budget that went up is the cost of glass. Um, I ended up paying double for the price of glass that I did last year. And when you're a small producer, we we, we doubled production of the rosé, so I ordered more bottles. Um, but even even with more bottles coming in, we we got three hundred cases of glass coming in. The the price of the glass was double what it was in twenty twenty one. Wow, and and you uh, you attribute that to the pandemic, lack of glass, 
people finally realizing they can get more for bottles. What do you what do you attribute that to? Um, I, there's a bottleneck in the supply the supply chain. I'm I'm not entirely sure where it is, but like I'm also talking to some winemakers in California who are dealing with similar issues. But they're also coastal winemakers, so they're able to anecdotally. I have no evidence to support this, nor have I cared to do the exact research. But anecdotally, there are uh, like ships just sitting and waiting offshore to be unloaded to bring more product into the into the country and it's just it seems like there's bottlenecks due to labor shortages in some places and i mean it's going to affect the cost of the cost of everything i have i have heard about the the ship sitting off off shore uh that is that is true um they're trying to get them i know in the u.s they're trying to get them off as quickly as possible but they still sit there uh and then they have to you know get onto a truck get onto a train get moving cross country cross border and all that kind of thing so yep. Um, it just, uh, now do you see, do you see prices coming down next year if the bottleneck, uh, loosens up or is it like gas prices? The moment they have you at a buck 50 a gallon, you're paying buck 50 a gallon forever. Um, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, the margins on, on making wine aren't super high, especially since the way we run our, our business. And I know a lot of people do like rosé is a seasonal product. I have a small window where I want to sell it. I need to make sure that it's priced to sell. And, you know, I've. I'm talking to restaurant owners um, and I'm sure all the other rosé makers of the province are also talking to restaurant owners and you know there isn't I think there has been a bit of an appetite for a price increase in restaurants and an empathy to what's happening in the world at large but uh, on the other side of the on the other side of the coin there's only a limit to how far you can go right so for something like rosé you want it to be poured by the glass in the restaurant which means you need to have a competitive price point because you know, your bottles that are open on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday may not make it to Friday, and some of that money and may end up going down the sink or enjoyed by the back of house at your restaurant. So, and I, I would think that restaurants want lower prices so they can either sell at higher prices because they don't want to see their glasses of rosé going up to, you know, $10 a glass 100%. When, when they could be, you know, five or six. I mean, I can tell you that the way we do our pricing is because we, we do have restaurants in mind. Um, and if there's an opportunity for us to cut costs while maintaining our, our margins so we can keep investing in ourselves, then yeah, by all means, I would take a look at the numbers and, and, and drop the price if I could. But then I also need to worry about consumer perception, right? Because wine's very much a product where price dictates con consumer perception and quality for the most part. I mean... Uh, yeah, I, sorry, I'm just on the LCBO website right now, and I've got Martha Stewart staring at me. And let's see, let's see what they're selling that for. I mean, apart from the fact that there's a gimmick with the with the oh the 19 prime, I think it's 1995. I think that's what I saw. So it's twenty dollars for a Chardonnay, which is from is it California or is it um, or is it Australia? It's Cal it's California, and I mean, okay, twenty dollars a bottle for mass produced Chardonnay. Okay, I guess. Okay, maybe I just pulled a, a, a bad example here and that was on the on the website. But I mean, what I was saying earlier, like there's a lot of wines where you're looking at the label, you're looking at the name, you're willing to spend a little bit more. But if I drop my price down, it, I may have some people question whether the quality is good or, or not being aware of the supply chain issues and whatnot, right? So, I mean, we're very careful in deciding when and how much to raise the price at the risk of not upsetting our customers, but also not uh, um, not not turning people away in terms of quality. So, and then uh, just a really uh, really quick plug because you mentioned uh, your uh, your nemesis grape. Um, 
uh, yeah, your Chardonnay is, is shaping up to be uh, pretty good. And that's all I want to say on that. Uh, you know, you're, you're still six months away, uh, but it's shaping up to be, I think, your best Chardonnay today. Well, it's not Just bad saying. considering it's number two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Is there anything else you want to add about the about the rosé report? I I just ask everybody to uh, to send the send rosés. Uh, you can send me an email. Uh, find it on my website uh, or send me uh, anything through uh, through social media. I'm always uh, I'm always responding there. Um, I'll give you the address. Uh, love to taste your rosé this year and and see where it uh, where it slots itself in. Uh, I think it's going to be a good rosé year. I, I mean, that's it. So I guess that was the, the point I kind of started and, and didn't finish is I th- people are making the joke just because of what happened. Like we talked to Craig McDonald about how when the grapes started to absorb more of the water with the never ending rain, you know, sugar levels dropped as a result, like alcohols are going to drop. Um, but the rosés that I've tasted in barrel, both ours and, and Rockways and a couple of other places, um, it, it's going to be a good year for rosé. I think the rosé from 2021 is going to be better than, than 2020. So while we may not be making a bunch of bangers that'll age in your cellar for 20 years, at least there's something good that came from last year's harvest. Look, I, I kicked I kicked off the tasting yesterday with uh, with a family tree, a brand new product for them. Uh, you know, really, uh, really nice uh, rosé, 1695. Uh, you know, had, had plenty of rosé characteristics that made it... Uh, made it uh, I can't even I can't even say uh, that it was just a good wine, right? Because now now you know I'm doing good, better, best. If I just say it was good, then it just sounds like it's it's bottom of the barrel or something. But that's not that's not what it was a tasty rosé. Let me go with that one. Okay, sounds good. All right. Well, I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. Uh, follow me on social media at AndreWineReview. And I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Join me on social media at Michael Pincus, the great guy, and sometimes Michael Pincus Wine Review. I just didn't, I didn't coalesce them, Andre. Just didn't do it. That's, I mean, you do you, boo. <laughs> Take us yeah. away. Well, it's a beautiful afternoon. I think it's going to be 16 degrees here in Niagara. Not sure what it's going to be in Hamilton, but I can only say it this way, Andre. Good afternoon. Oh, that's weird. I know, it's kind of creepy. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.